Hello, and welcome to the Victorious Living Christian Counseling Podcast, where Victorious Living is not only a dream, but a real possibility through Jesus Christ. My name is Crystal Ridland, and I'm a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Indiana, and I am a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas. So first off, I want to apologize that it has been a minute since my last podcast, Um, and the reason for this is because, a few reasons, one is because I, um, July was just crazy, I went on vacation, Um, I also ended up getting COVID, so that pretty much knocked it knocked me down for a few weeks and um, it's also really hard to try to find time to do a podcast when the kids are at home because I record these um, at home in my office and so trying to find solitude and time where it's absolutely peaceful in the house is almost impossible for those of you who have kids you will be nodding in agreement I'm sure Um, it's blessed And it's such a blessing to have the kids home. I love having the kids home for the summer. Always sad when they go back. Um, But it is nice in the sense of I get a little more quiet time, um, especially to make my podcast. So today's topic is actually going to be on the Savior Complex. Um, What is the Savior Complex? So the first thing I'm going to do is just give you a little bit of information that I pulled off of Um, an online article called Psychology Today and um, because I want you to have a good working definition of what this means Um, but here's a funny story I actually thought that I coined the term the savior complex I literally did um, before I realized that somebody had already coined it and that it was actually um, not a new thing but Um, The reason is because God's been working with me on this topic since I was a little girl. And um, so probably in the last 10 years, I've been talking about the Savior Complex and really like communicating about this concern with my clients and my family members and my friends because it is a real concern. And so after I explain what it is, we're going to talk about things like how is this impacting your everyday life? How does this impact your anxiety and your depression? How is this negatively impacting your relationships? And how is it actually keeping you from acquiring your own healing? So those are just a few of the answers, um, questions that we're going to conquer in this session. So um, the Savior Complex um, I'm just reading from a Psychology Today article. Um, At first, the term savior complex may have a positive connotation. However, when you learn more about it and the underlining motivations and impact on others, it is clear that this behavior pattern can be problematic. Um, It is absolutely problematic. At every core, it's problematic, and I'm going to explain that um, a little bit more in detail. Um, So a psychological construct which makes a person feel the need to save other people. This is the definition. Um, A psychological construct which makes a person feel the need to save other people. This person has a strong tendency to seek people who desperately need help and to assist them, often sacrificing their own needs for these people. Okay? Okay. 
a lot of times, friends, I want you to hear me, a lot of times people who are called into the helping field, they they oftentimes have this savior complex at the root of the calling. So when I say like um, that it's just a, it's a paradigm that occurs, right? So if you have a heart to fix people, then you can easily move into the savior complex. Whereas most people who are just kind of like, it's, you know, my world and, you know, they don't really see past like what they're thinking or eating or, you know, doing that day, they usually aren't led into um, our struggle with the savior complex. Um, so the underlying belief of these individuals is it is a noble thing to do. They believe that they are somehow better than others because they help people all the time without getting anything back. So they become what we call the martyr syndrome. While motives may or may not be pure, their actions are not helpful to all involved. The problem is that trying to save somebody does not allow the individual to take responsibility of his or her own actions and to develop internal motivation. Therefore, the positive or negative changes may only be temporary. Okay, so this is just a brief little explanation, um, something that I pulled off line, online when I typed in the Savior Complex. Um, and so I'm going to actually delve a little bit deeper into this topic. Um, first, I'm going to start out by sharing briefly a little bit about my own testimony when it comes to the Savior Complex. So as I've mentioned on my podcast before, I grew up in a very, very toxic, dysfunctional, abusive, and um, addicted home. There was drugs, there was alcohol, um, and anger was rampant. Um, it was just not a good environment. So I, ha I was the youngest of seven, and um, by the time... I could remember, so there was a pretty significant age jump between me and my oldest siblings. And so like my oldest sister would have been 15 when I was born. And so by the time that I was able to, I grew up and I was able to make conscious notes or, you know, pay attention to what was actually going on around me, I remember my earliest memories are of my oldest siblings doing drugs and partying and um, just having not good um, lifestyle choices. I remember one particular time when I was nine years old. I have a very clear memory of this. Um, I have a sister in particular who was always very antagonistic towards me, just always had an issue with me. And I remember telling her, um, I wasn't being mean, but I was like paying attention to the things that were happening around me. And I was actually sad because I knew that like I didn't have a whole lot of understanding about it, but I knew that whatever was happening wasn't making them any happier. And so I remember telling my sister, I said, when I grow up, I'm going to be different. Um, and my sister kind of got mad at me and can see why now, but she's like, you wait, you're going to grow up and you're going to be just like the rest of us. But that's just a, 
a, a little bit of a memory to kind of point to this was the dynamic that was in my home. There was a lot of brokenness. There was a lot of sadness. So fast forward to I'm 15 years old now. I'm looking for hope. Um, I ended up getting invited to church and I went to a small Baptist church down the road and I found Jesus there and that changed my life. It gave me something that I could hold on to that was substantial in a world where I felt like I had no hope, no love, no affection. And I really didn't see any like hope for the future because everything around me was a lot of hopelessness. I didn't see people making good decisions or um, like I was the only one out of seven kids who went to high school. So there was a lot of just a lot of negative um, lifestyle choices around me. So I accepted Christ and it saved me. So what I wanted to do was to take that, that, that love and that healing and that hope that I had been given through my relationship with Jesus. And I wanted so desperately to share it with my family members. I wanted to see them grab hold of the hope that I had and to begin making these changes in their life. And they didn't. And I was baffled and I was hurt. And I would say like, I would beg them to come to church. I would beg them to stop doing drugs. I would beg them like just different family members, including my mom. I would beg them to try to, to wean them away or point them in a different direction from the decisions they were making. And, um, it just never worked. In fact, a lot of times, most of the time, this is what happened. They would get more mad at me. They would become irate. I don't know how many times I heard my family members say, oh, you think you're just better than this. And it was never that I thought I was better than them. It was that I wanted them to have the same hope, the same peace, and the same joy that I had. And it was all rooted in love. I can't say that there weren't times that I may have had, you know, some other motivation that wasn't love-based, but primarily most of the time it was all out of love okay so this became my goal in life was to save my family and so I put all this angst on myself and all this stress on myself and um, I had a niece in in particular who um, I was 11 when she was born and I pretty much raised her because of the dynamic in our family and I did everything in my power to save this girl from the time that even after I moved out, when I was 16, I moved out of my mom's house and, um, but I didn't move out of her life. In fact, I continued to be a huge support system for her. I went to college and almost every weekend I would drive home from college so that I could take her to church and make sure that she got into church. And I did everything in my human power to help save this girl from this lifestyle that our family had had. And it didn't work. And um, it was very, the ending was actually very tragic. It was many, many years of me trying to save her, of me trying to help her, of me even moving her to my house when she was um, 15 and 
I was married with two kids and tried to bring her in and showed her the love and she continued to make decisions that were destructive for her life. And no matter how much I tried to like talk sense into her or to love her out of it, it was like she was determined to go her own way. And so I didn't understand. But I remember one time in particular. And this is where God really began to teach me this lesson on the Savior Complex. I was, um, I had to go to her house late at night one evening because my stepfather had just passed away. And I was with my mom and I was letting her know that I was leaving so that she could um, check on my mom a little bit later or just to let her know I wasn't going to be there. And it took my niece forever to answer the phone and or to answer the door. And so when she finally answered the door, I saw inside and there was just like smoke from marijuana like all over the house. And my heart just stopped because I knew that my niece was pregnant and it just broke my heart and it had already been an emotional um, time with everything going on in my home and I just looked at her and I just said I'm like you know better than this this is not good and I don't even remember all that I said I didn't say much but I didn't have to because she knew that I was just so sad and um, and she was like, Aunt Crystal, you just think you're better than everybody. Like, you just don't understand. Like, she got really mad at me. And I said, I got to go. And I literally got in the car and I drove down the road and I burst into tears. And as I pulled off the side of the road, I cried to God. And I'm like, why? Why is she doing this? Like, i trying so hard to point her to you. And this is what. God said to me, he said, Crystal, Crystal, it is not your job to save her. It's not your job to save her. That is my job. You cannot save her. It is, I never called you to save her. I've never given you that command to go and save people. That's not what Jesus said. He actually said, go and make disciples of all men. But he never once told us to save people, right? And so he said, I never called you to save her. I'm her savior. All I need you to do is love her and point her to me. That is all. And I sat there with tears because for the first time in my life, I began to get the true understanding of what was going on. And so I wish I could say that that day I was saved from this savior complex. But no, it went on for many years and still today. Occasionally it still creeps in. But the good news is I'm able to catch it faster. Okay, so that is basically a little bit, just a very quick um, story because I could tell you so much about this whole topic um, about how God showed me that it's not my job to save anybody that that is a um, and actually and this was a really painful thing for me to realize is over the years God has actually showed me that when I move into savior role I am trying to put myself in a place that is where God should be and not where I should be. So it's actually a sin 
And I'm like, ouch. So this basically this well-intentioned, I want to save people, actually, before I realized it became a sin. And that's how Satan works. He takes all things that are good and he wants to turn them into things that are bad. And so that's why I think it's so important that we talk about this because many of you are sitting here going, yes, speak on. I can't believe this. You're starting to have these like light bulbs go off in your head because you're starting to be like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this was a thing. I've been there. Didn't even know it was a thing, (laughs) but it is. So um, there are some like specific reasons that we develop the savior complex. Okay, so that's from a psychological standpoint, I'm going to help you to kind of look at like maybe just maybe where some of these things originated from. Okay, for me, this is number one, and it was the one for me is somewhere in my very early childhood, I began to have a core belief that I have to be responsible for everything. That it is my job to fix things. And if I don't fix it, the world's going to fall apart. This is going to fall apart. My family's going to fall apart. Um, The house is going to fall apart. That became a, what we say with a core belief, is that it's not just something that I think sometimes. It's actually the way my brain developed to believe this. So even when things weren't my responsibility at all, maybe my you know, family member made a poor choice and landed themselves in jail, suddenly I would find myself in this like hyper vigilant, super stressed, I have to go in and fix this situation. Whereas I didn't have any control to fix it. I was completely powerless, right? But that's how quickly it can be ingrained. Now, when I tell you about these core belief, like the core belief um, that I have to be responsible for everything. There's also, for some people, their core belief is I'm worthless. Um, and what's so interesting is if you go back and you study these beliefs, there's different ages where these beliefs were ingrained within our spirit, like embedded within our spirit based on the experiences and um, lives and environment that we were in at the time. So this one, I have to be responsible for everything originated by ages they say maybe two to four so by the ages of two to four I had this belief that I had to be responsible for everything that's really sad (laughs) because by the ages of two to four you shouldn't be even thinking about anything other than you know my mommy wants me to pick up my toys today like that should be pretty much the only thing that as you know in your responsibility Um, And so that's rooted in trauma, right? So if you have these core beliefs, there's several of them, um, but I have to be responsible for everything is a significant one. And um, for a lot of times, um, a lot of children of alcoholics grow up with, I have to be responsible for everything. The reason is because if they weren't sober (laughs) and taking care of things, their family members were not sober and were falling apart. And so the young kids like myself had to stand up to the plate and try to fill in the gap because everything literally would have fallen apart had we not moved into that role. See how it happens? And so it's a, it's a 
common belief. I had to learn this through therapy. So if you're sitting here thinking, yeah, you know what? Like, that makes sense. Like, I want to encourage you to find a good Christian therapist, somebody who's solid, who knows their stuff to be able to help you walk through this because these are the answers to freedom. Okay, so this podcast is just to give you a little bit of information to try to help you to build awareness and make sense of, but it's not to help you with your long-term healing. That's going to be done in a therapist office in um, um, seeking, you know, more involved care in that route. So what is another reason for this belief? For sometimes, um, there's actually some people and you may be like nodding your head when I say this too, because we all know these people, where they don't actually take time and effort to work on themselves. They actually spend all their time and effort going around and trying to fix other people. And that's how they live. That's how they survive. You see a lot of people who are in ministry doing this. Um, sadly, you see some counselors do this too. It's a common thing. You see people in the church do this. You see maybe your mom and dad do this. You see, you know, your friends doing this. But what happens is they begin to, they have all this stuff in their own life that's not sorted out, but they're not connected to that. And so the way that they try to, to deal with that is this like um, unhealthy way of trying to hyper-focus on the problems around them and the people and their problems. So you'll often see people who have all these, like, they want to fix people, and so maybe they um, they have a foster child, or they, you know, not saying foster child, like being a foster parent is wonderful, but being a foster parent who is healed is the only way to really help these kids because otherwise it's rooted in actually you getting your needs met. So it may be confusing and that may be hard to hear, but it actually is very true. And so therefore, it's so important that we all do our own individual healing because otherwise, when even when we try to help people, we quickly move into an unhealthy way of... Um, like vicariously trying to heal through them, whether it's I have to be their best friend um, or if it's, you know, I'm going to try to control them so that I can fix them, right? Um, and it's not our job to fix anybody. I actually have had clients in the past say to their their child who was coming to me to, you know, work through maybe behavior issues or um, bad decision making and the parents will sometimes say something like crystal is gonna fix you and I am quick to say can you please sit down and I need you to understand and I look at the client that I'm not here to fix you that is not my job nor am I able or capable of fixing you it's my job to care about you and to listen to you and to give you tools and to help you to save yourself and to point you to Jesus who is the who is the answer for our healing and our victory and then I kind of go back to what I'm doing but I 
anybody that comes to me thinking that I can fix them or I can wave a magic wand, I don't have that power. So that's another common tactic for people who have the savior complex. Sometimes it's rooted in, I just want to control other people because I feel out of control in my own life. So we can hyper-focus on what's going on over there, which distracts us from what's going on in my life and in my family. Okay? Just um, so sometimes it's rooted in people um, get caught up in this savior complex because um, they want to be loved, right? So like if if somebody has a fear of not being loved, for example, by their parents or their family members, and yet there's a lot of like, you know, toxic problems and sometimes they can put a lot of pressure on the healthy person to come in and fix their problems so they can be needy they can um, demand too much and then in that case it's so important for the healthy person to become more healthy by building awareness of I can't save them in fact sometimes when we try to save them we can quickly become enablers and that actually perpetuates the cycle right so the best thing to do is to to be healed on our own internally of these issues then we can start to like feel confident in who we are in Christ and who and begin to be able to really love because now we're not loving out of fear loving because we're afraid of being rejected loving because you know, we're trying to save somebody and control their life ultimately, but we're actually loving because that's what we have Christ love and we want to express that love to other people. So it becomes a more purified, wholesome type of love rather than rooted in control or fear. Okay, I hope this is making sense. Um, so a lot of times it's out of fear of rejection. We think if we put up that boundary with this family member, trust me, I know, I've put up boundaries and it's been sometimes a year or more before there's been, you know, any kind of a turnaround in that relationship because, you know, boundaries are healthy, right? Too many boundaries are not healthy, but Boundaries that protect us. The Bible says that we are to guard our hearts for out of it flows the wellspring of life. And if we're consciously allowing and constantly allowing people to come in and break through our boundaries, then we aren't guarding our hearts. We're setting ourselves up for more and more and more trial and hardship because we can't make somebody else do the right thing. Trust me, I know. I tried to walk onto a gambling boat one time when I was maybe 19 or 20. I wanted to get a family member off of the gambling boat. I loved her dearly and I didn't want her to be on the boat. I thought if I go in there, I can talk some sense to her. I walked off the gambling boat crying and the person never left the gambling boat until much later into the night. So it doesn't work. Trust me, I know I've tried. So what is the antidote? So if you're, if this is like make, you know, maybe you're thinking this makes sense, Crystal, but what do I do with this? Okay. So here's the antidote. We have to trust God. That's the antidote. We have to pray for them. We love them. We do all the things that God tells us to do 
but we don't lose ourselves in the process, right? So, and we listen for the still small voice of God. When he says, I want you to go into the situation, we go. But if God isn't telling us, even if the other people are demanding, like, you don't love us. I've heard that so many times. You don't love us. You never come around. You don't love me. You won't pay for my hotel room. Like, it's the same stories, right? So, like, it's different scenarios, but the same story. Sorry. And so what we have to do is begin to realize, God, where's my part here? And sometimes the part that he wants you to play is the one who sets the boundary. I love you. Now I'm going to follow God and go this direction, right? So the other thing is to remember where our priorities are, right? So it's God, our spouse if we're married, our children, our church, and our work, and our friends, right? So we have to keep that those bound those priorities in line. Because if we keep them in line, if God's the most important thing, right, then our husband, then um, I may help a, I'm just giving out an example, I may help a nephew or I may help a friend, but it's never going to be to where my spouse feels like these other people are more important, right? So when that happens, it's a very clear sign that, hey, there's some issues here in your savior complex issue and you need to get those worked out. Um, <clears throat> so um, I hope this is kind of setting in with you guys. I hope that you're able to like follow with me. I know it's a lot to kind of take in and to make sense of, but I want to hear from you. If this is something in your life that you're like, hey, you really um, just like, you know, um, there is something here that that I could relate to today. Like, I want you to just maybe drop me an email or um, send me a little comment um, on the, you know, like the subscribers. You can like leave some comments. I want to know how you guys are receiving this, if this is helpful for you, because that's the hope and the, my prayer is that what I'm doing in the office that I can give you a little taste of it so that you can begin to see these things taking place so that you can begin to feel empowered to step out and be like, you know what? I don't want to be a savior anymore because trying to be a savior, one, it's not going to work. And two, it's exhausting. How many of you feel tired and overwhelmed because you're constantly trying to fix your mom or your brother or your friend to the point of you feel stressed and your neck hurts and you are just constantly in a state of angst because there's no peace in your life and so um so the savior complex my hope is what the bible says is that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free right? You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And so here's the truth, friends. We all need to recognize that we are not Jesus in any way, shape, or form. We were never called to be Jesus. We were never asked to be on the cross. That was not the cross that we were asked to bear by 
God the Father. We have a Savior who bled and died for our sins to give us hope. And never do we have to plaster ourselves up to be the Savior because that's not our job. Our job is to, as the Bible says um, in Matthew 28, 19-20, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice in this verse, there's nothing about go and save the people. And actually, in another verse that will be familiar to you, it actually says, if they don't listen to you when you share the good news, you share the gospel, you are to wipe the dust off your feet and move on to the next city, right? The reason for this is what? If they're not going to hear you, go talk to somebody who will, right? Because there are people desperate to hear the good news. The other thing is, when we begin to not try to save people, not only do we have tremendous peace and calmness in our life, but we actually begin to put that responsibility back onto the people to actually begin to make their own decisions where they feel like, I have to go to God. And then when they're ready to go to that place, they're more willing to come back to us because we haven't burned our bridges by trying to save them, right? If, if I have a resistant teenager who's got an attitude issue in my office, who is not making the best decisions, is not on board with coming to therapy, and I tell them, hello, welcome to my office where I'm going to save you. They're probably going to not be thrilled. They're never going to want to come back, right? People don't want to be saved. They want relationship. They want to feel like people care about them. And only then can we actually lead people to Christ where Christ can then do the saving. Does that make sense? See, it all kind of always comes back to Christ. And I love that, which is the whole purpose of my podcast is to live a victorious life in Christ and that's my hope and my prayer for each one of you and we can't have a victorious life in Christ if we're caught up with this savior complex issue so I want to hear from you tell me you know how how you receive this tell me um just kind of comment on the um, subscriber section and the comments and I, I, I would love to hear from you. Share this with anyone that you think, hey, um, my friend just told me about, you know, maybe um, her mom or her brother, you know, being really demanding and wanting all these things from her. You know, maybe this might help her. So I just encourage you to share it um, with them because I want this, the news to get out so that people can start to have life and to have it abundantly and to have joy um, and peace and healing and that's the goal so um, I will let you guys go and um, I will try to be back um, 
much sooner than the last time, so maybe another podcast in a week or two. I have several ideas that are always going through my mind and just kind of coming to a point where God says, this is the one I want you to do today. And today it was the Savior Complex. So God bless, and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Bye.